If, if you were to think for a moment, a um, little bit of trivia for you, the top three Google searches in Canada in the last seven days, seven to 10 days, what do you think those would be? Any of the top three Google searches in Canada in the last 10 days? Anybody got any guesses? Weight loss and gym membership. That's entirely possible. That's not the answer I got, but... <laughs> the next stat holiday? Boy, I can really see where everyone's at this morning. Um, the information I received, the, the, top, the top three Google searches in the last 10 days in Canada, the World Junior Hockey Championships, go figure, Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. Princess Leah, and Donald Trump. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, increasingly, uh, I don't know about you, but um, I, I, I like just, you know, um, checking uh, what's going on in the world and, and just seeing, um, you know, what's hitting Facebook and what's trending on Twitter and all that kind of thing. I just like, like doing that. Um, but increasingly, uh, I'm finding myself drawn to not Google searching those kinds of things. I'm finding myself uh, drawn toward Google searching um, or, or looking at articles on one of two topics, either astronomy or history. And I think one of the reasons for the, that is because I'm getting tired of what's trending in the news. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, God loves hockey, World Junior Championships, and don't get me wrong, God loves Carrie Fisher and, and dare I even say Star Wars, uh, and don't get me wrong, God, hang on to your hats, God loves Donald Trump. But I, I'm just finding myself just sort of needing, uh, I, I, drawn toward looking up things on astronomy, looking up things on history, and I was thinking about that this week, why, why is that? Um, why, why am I drawn to that? Why am I drawn to a story um, that just came out this week that I read um, that talked about um, the radio frequency waves being picked up. Now, if you're, if you're really science-minded, I'm going to butcher this, so just, just give me some latitude. Um, but, but there were radio waves detected in 2007 from deep in space somewhere. They were trying to, scientists were trying to figure out what in the world was going on. They finally figured out that the origin of those, that radio whatever um, is going on was in a galaxy, three billion light years from where you're sitting right now. Now, believe me, I'm not going to get into the whole, gee, was it aliens? Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that blew my mind, just that part. that there's, I'm like, wait a minute, there's a galaxy three billion light years. In other words, if you were to travel at the speed of light, which is, who knows the speed of light? Thank you, 186,000 miles per second. If you could actually do that and travel for three billion years, you would enter into that galaxy, which that galaxy is millions of miles in diameter. And it's one of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of galaxies. Mind. That was in the news this week. Why am I drawn to a story like that? Why am I drawn to a story um, that showed pictures from the, from the, um, 
the planet Mars. Um, NASA tweeted out on January the 1st, you know, Happy New Year from Mars, and they showed the latest pictures um, from, the, from the Land Rover that's there. And I blew the picture up, and I was looking at it, and it's literally, you can see, you can see the shadows in behind the little rocks that are sitting there next to the rover. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, that, that scene right there with those little rocks, that formation, that sun-casting shadow there, and you can see over the horizon, you can see the mountains on Mars in the distance, 225 million kilometers from where you're sitting, or up to 400 million kilometers from where you're sitting, depending on what time of year it is and where the planets are moving. Why, why am I drawn to a story like that? Why am I drawn to historical stories? And, and, Probably for some of the same reasons. When I was, um, when I was um, pastoring in Ontario, I was in a congregation that celebrated its 150th anniversary. It had been around for 150 years. And I was doing a research paper um, for a seminary, and I did it on the founding pastor of the church. And I was down at our denominational headquarters in Toronto, and I was in their archives. And, I, and I, they have a copy of this, um, this minister, um, Reverend Dr. Robert Burns, not the Robbie Burns, which, by the way, if, if my name was Robert Burns, I'd probably want to change my name slightly, particularly if I was a Presbyterian minister, because Robbie Burns was Presbyterian. Um, but but there, his, his diary was there, and I had to wear white gloves, and I had to handle it very carefully, because it was almost crumbling. It was 150 years old. But you could read his diary about his, you know, his goings-on, about starting this new church. And I sat there and went, Wow. Why am I drawn to, to stories like that, whether they're astronomy or they're history? And, and I think, as we start a new year, I, I think one of the things that, that I've realized about myself um, is that when I consider stories of astronomy and billions of light years and all that kind of thing, or when I think about someone that literally sat in the shoes I was in 150 years ago, and I read their diary, and I thought to myself, wow, they, there they were 150 years ago doing the same thing I'm doing, trying to you know, preach God's word to God's people in this area, trying to care for, for those in the congregation and the ups and downs of that 150 years before I was here. And as I'm standing here, there's, there's, there's galaxies that we know nothing about. And, and I think in an era where we're hearing tons of news stories about, about the latest tournament or the latest movie star to die or the latest president to... Um, to soon be inaugurated. I think, for me, it, these other kinds of stories just bring me back and ground me. That as you and I start a new year, there are galaxies billions of light years from here. It's a big world out there. There is a lot of stuff beyond me. And as I consider history, and, and you know, the 150 years ago, the, the pastor writing the journal, it's a long world out there, way beyond 150 years. And there's a lot of time beyond me. And I think it's a good reminder for us, as we start a new year, there's a lot of stuff beyond you out there, and there's a lot of time beyond you. It sort of grounds us. And it reminds us, at least in a spiritual context for me, that God says, Graham, I got this. Whatever your this is, the God who 
formed and shaped those galaxies, who knows them all by name, who is present here among us right now and is present three billion light years away in that galaxy. And as you're sitting here this morning, the same God who was present with us this morning was present with Dr. Robert Burns 150 years ago as he sat in his study trying to figure out life in 1852. I got this, God says. I've got this. It's a reminder to me. It grounds me in, in the greatness of God. And we've sung it this morning. And it reminds me of the faithfulness of God. And we've sung that this morning as well. And that's the, the, the grounding for a new year. I want to read for us a couple of passages and then just unpack it a little bit in the context of this new year as we consider the greatness and the faithfulness of God. And, and just step back from the regular Google searches, the regularness of our lives, and just step back and be reminded that God's saying, I've got this. I'm faithful. Genesis chapter 15. I want to read that for you. And I'm going to read for you from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. If you want to follow along, uh, it won't be on the screen, but you're welcome to do that. If you need a Bible, I'm sure the ushers, if you wave your arm, the ushers can um, grab some Bibles back there. But Genesis chapter 15. Beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 21 verses. It's an odd story, particularly the back end. So hang with me as we read the odd story, and we'll unpack it together. It's about God's covenant with Abram. Let's hear this. Let's listen for God's word, Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. God took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. Or could I insert, count the galaxies, if indeed you can count them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, 
to your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Camanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis 15. And then from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. The writer to the Hebrews picks up on this story that I've just read for you, and he says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we give you this time as we take time to unpack these two passages at the start of this new year. We pray that as we focus on your faithfulness, that it would that reality would soak deeply into our lives as we start this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you the passage in Genesis 15 was weird. I, I pre-warned you. It's an odd passage, particularly, as I said, the back end of it. But this passage in Genesis 15 points, I would say, and I'll say this to you at the start of a new year, it points to the faithfulness of God. It's another way of God saying, I've got this. I've got this. It's, it's a story about God being faithful to Abram, whose name would eventually change to Abraham. But in fact, God's faithfulness to Abram first showed up not in this passage, but a few passages, a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a promise to Abram. And God says to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. And if you read from Genesis 12 onward, God says that to Abram, I'm going to promise to you that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then Abram continues to proceed and, and, and follows exactly what God tells him to do. God says, I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go to a, a land that I'm not even going to tell you about now. Just start walking, and I'll show you as you go where you're supposed to go. And so the passage tells us that Abram's faithful, and he does. He, he obeys God. He leaves home. He trusts God completely. And he arrives in this new land with his, uh, with his, his relative Lot, and, and he says to Lot, um, you know, on God's orders, he says to Lot, you, you choose. You know, what, do you want to go to the left or the right? You know, whatever you choose, I'll choose the opposite, and that's where we'll settle. And Lot, of course, chooses the best land. He looks on one side and the other and says, I'm taking that over there. It looks way better. And, so he, and Abram trusts God. He says, okay, Lot, you take that. 
And then Lot gets himself into trouble, and the, the neighboring armies come in, they, 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 they conquer Lot and his whole family, they take them captive, and, and Abram shows up again to help Lot and to rescue him. And the, all the other nations um, cower in comparison, and, and Abram's victorious, and he rescues Lot. But as God told him, he doesn't take any of the loot, any of the, the spoils of war, Abram leaves it in obedience to God. And then in chapter 13, again, God says, Abram, lift up your eyes. Beforehand, you gave Lot part and you took some. Lift up your eyes. Look all around. I'm going to give you all of this. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, he says in chapter 13. Trust me. I've got this. And then we come to our text this morning in Genesis 15. I'm not much into alliteration, but as I looked at this passage, the, the alliterating just came to me. So if you too don't like alliteration, then just bear with me. Um, but I want to talk to you this morning from Genesis 15 about the promise, or excuse me, the problem and then the promise and then the proof. God and his word come to Abram in a vision in Genesis 15. Um, most scholars agree that this, is, this vision is not an actual dream where he's sleeping and and, uh, and he has a dream, wakes up and goes, wow, that was kind of cool. Um, it, it, the sense from the Hebrew there is that, it, that it's, it's actually his imagination. It's actually him sitting sort of, you know, sitting having those moments where like, I can, I can just see it. I can just see it. And I sense deep within my spirit that still small voice of God, that God's, God's giving me a picture of what's going to happen. It's a visual image of what's coming. And in the vision, in, the, in, this, in this time that, God, that Abram's having with God, that still that still small voice of God's spirit says to Abram, don't, don't be afraid, Abram. Don't be afraid. Boy, do I need to hear that still small voice sometimes. Don't be afraid, Graham. I've got this. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward, he says at the beginning of the passage that I read for you. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. Abram could grasp that picture because he had just come through battle, right? Remember I mentioned that? He, he had just come through battle and God had protected him. And, and, and so, he, yeah, God, you're my shield. I, I mean, I literally experienced that, God. I've, I've got that. I'm grasping that. And then he, and God says to him, I'm your very great reward. I'm your blessing, I'm that's which is going to bless you. And this one, Abram has a little bit of trouble accepting. Because in verse 2, he says, you know, what can you give me? Uh, he, he's questioning God. This is not about material possessions. God, because I, I gave those willingly up. I gave the spoils of war up. This is not about material possessions, God. But if you're talking about blessing me, um, let me just remind you, God, that you promised that you would make me into a great nation. This is not about material possessions. This is about your promise to me to make me into a great nation, to bless my descendants. And, and you see, here's, here's where Abram struggles, because he sees the problem. And I'm sure, I think, it's a problem that you can relate to, because it's certainly one that I can relate to. Because Abram has been told something by God, but he's looking around at the evidence, and he, he's, seeing, he, he's seeing that there's some incongruency between what God has said and what Abram is seeing. They're not lining up. There are certain times in our lives 
when what God has said to us, what God's Word says to us, and what we see in our actual lives, they don't line up. There's this gap that exists between what God says and my experience. We have a gap problem. Just like Abram. And so, we handle this problem oftentimes in our lives the same way that Abram um, proposes to handle his, his problem, this gap. Um, we, we hedge our bets on God coming through. We go, hmm, okay, that's what you said, but this is what I'm seeing, and it's not looking good. So, just in case you don't come through, God, I'm going to develop a plan B. You ever found yourself doing that? You might not admit it, because that would possibly be interpreted as having a lack of faith, but, you know, I'll just keep saying that, but just in case you don't come through, God, I'm going to plan B it over here. And that's what Abram does. You know, God, you said you're going to come through and give me descendants, but it's not looking good. So I'm going to come up with a plan B, and here's my plan B. I've got a servant named Eleazar, and I'm going to make him my heir. I'm going to go to the lawyer's office, sign all the paperwork, make him my heir. Uh, That's my plan B, so that I have a descendant, so that, you know, in case you don't come through God, I'm not the laughing stock. And so I'm going to make him my heir. I'm going to give him my possessions when I die. It's kind of actually, if if you know the Hebrew, it's kind of a, a play on words because Eliezer means Caesar of possessions. That's what the name means. And so it's kind of one of those play on words. Well, if he's going to seize my possessions anyway, I may as well hand it over legally. Just in case you don't come through, God. My servant will be my heir. There's a problem, God. There's a gap between what you say and what I see, so I'm putting a plan B in place, just in case. We live our lives a lot like that. I find myself just encasing God. Well, just in case, God, I'll, I'll take matters into my own hands. God's response is very patient and very gentle. Because I'm sure God was up there going, okay. But he responds to Abram's perceived problem by restating, restating, not stating for the first time, but restating patiently and gently the promise. Abram says there's a problem. God says, let me just restate the promise to you. And God takes him outside into creation, into nature, and I can relate to this too, and God just speaks something powerfully to him in in nature, and and he points him upward. (laughs) He didn't do a Google search and and hear about the latest radio waves, but God points him upward and says to him, your servant's not going to be your heir. You're going to have your own children. Remember my promise? Your children will be like dust of the earth. And he takes him outside and says, look up. Your children are going to outnumber that. In other words, God's saying, I've I've got this, Abram, I've got this, I've got it. God is saying something powerful to Abram and to us who sometimes live in the gap between what God says and what we see. And God's saying this, despite what appears to be the case, Abram, I will be true to my word. I promise. I've got this. God promises to be faithful to his promise. 
And look at Abram's response in verse 6. It says, um, Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram, in effect, is saying, God, I will trust you no matter what. I will rely on your faithfulness. Even though there's the, there's the problem of what you say and what I see just not lining up right now, even though I'm tempted to launch my plan B, I will trust you to do what you promise. I will lean my full weight on your promise. And so Abram believes, it says, and that's, that's um, literally a state of mind which is certain of its object and relies firmly on that object. That's what believe means. It's not just a mental... We, we've, I think, confused belief, and we've made belief just a, a mental assent to, to a, um, you know, a, a, a state, stated facts. We just say, okay, yes, I believe those things mentally. That's not really what belief means. Belief means taking and internalizing those things and saying, I'm going to rely firmly on that. I'm going to lean my full weight. I'm going to put all my assurance in what I'm believing in, in which in this case is believing in what God has said. It's a firm, inward, personal, self-surrendering reliance, an unconditional trust in the Lord and in His promises. It's actually a really odd verse, that, that, that verse that says, Abram believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. Um, it, it, it's an odd verse in the rhythm of Genesis. Normally, Genesis is just giving the facts, 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 facts. But in this one, in this verse, it, it's, there's a subjective opinion thrown in here, an editorial comment, and it really underlines the importance of this verse. Hey, you know, by the way, Abram believed and God credited to him his righteousness. Abram simply believed. He trusted, he leaned his full weight, and God declared him righteous because of it. Abram stood on the promises. You remember that old hymn of the faith? Standing on the promises of God, which cannot fail. He stood. Do you know what, folks? I want to remind you that God promises a lot of things to you. Let me remind you of three of them. God promises that he'll forgive your sin. Promises. God promises that he will sanctify you. He will he will purify you. His work on you will continue. He's faithful, and He will do that. God promises that no experience in our lives is wasted, that He redeems everything, and He calls us to stand on those promises, even when what He's promised and what we see going on in our lives appears to be out of touch with one another. He says, I've got this. I promise. The problem and then the promise and, and thirdly, the proof. And this is, where, this is where the story gets a little bit odd in the reading. Because in verse 8, Abram says, you know, okay, I've heard all of this, God. You know, yeah, the stars in the sky, I've, I've, you've reiterated your promise to me. But Abram says in verse 8, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know this? Like, I need to know. You, you told me that I'm going to gain all this land. How do I know that I'm going to gain possession of it? Please hear this. This is not Abram with, a, with casting doubt. Uh, I'm not sure, God. How, how can I really know? This actually isn't the, the, the sense of the passage. The, the, if you understand the culture back then, this is, this is a legitimate request that Abram is making. Because when promises were made back in the day, there was always proof that was asked for. 
It was kind of like, like, give me something in writing, only it wasn't in writing, but, but give me some visual that will be proof to me that what you promise, what you're promising will come to pass. It's a desire for confirmation, a seal for this promise that, has been, that God has given. It's, it's a conclusion for the deal, as it were. It's very common back in the day. It's as if Abram is saying, God, give me a sign to give me confidence in what I believe. And so verse 9, God sets things up to give Abram proof of the promise. And God calls Abram to assemble five animals, a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. Sounds like a bad joke. But in verse 10, he starts to, he starts to tell Abram what to do. And, and he's to, to cut the heifer and the goat and the ram into halves. Now, I'm no biblical scholar, but I'm guessing they're dead at this point. Um, he cuts them in half, and, and he, he, he arranges half the heifer on one side and half the heifer on the other side. Sounds like I'm making this up, but it's right there in the text. Half the goat, half the goat, half the ram, half the ram. Ranges them opposite one another, it says, with space down the middle. Can you, can you use your imagination and, and kind of go back there? It's a common custom, actually, back in ancient nations to conclude or to seal a covenant that's been made. And, and there was a ritual that was gone through, and, and God picks up on this human ritual, and God actually, um, actually participates in this human ritual. And, he, and, and, and in, the, in the ritual, persons making the covenant would, would actually set things up like this. They would, they would sacrifice animals, and they'd cut them into halves, and they'd line them up, and there was space down the middle. And the persons making the covenant, the two people engaging in the covenant, would step into the middle, and they would walk back and forth between the carcasses. It was a common practice back in, in the ancient nations. They would pass between the bloody carcasses, literally, and in, by doing so, it was a visual symbol. It was kind of like a visual contract uh, by these two individu individuals saying that, in effect, we are pledging to walk within the bounds of our promise. We're not going to stray to the left or right. We're going to stay down the middle of our promise, and we are willing, if we break this covenant, we will be willing to suffer the same fate as these animals will die if we break the covenant. It was a visual symbol, a powerful symbol. It was a seal and a proof to the two individuals entering into the contract, into the covenant, as they walked back and forth together between, saying to one another, this covenant I, I will follow. And if I break it, then I can suffer the same fate as these animals. Verse 12 tells us that Abram falls into a deep sleep, um, and, uh, and God, God appears to Abram in, in, a, in a dream. God appears to Abram as a smoking fire pot, has a blazing torch. It's bright. It kind of reminds us a little bit of, of how God has revealed himself in the past to Moses in a, in a pillar coming, a, a, a burning bush, and how God revealed himself to the people of Israel in, in a pillar of fire. And there's God manifesting himself as a smoking fire pot, as a blazing torch. But, but please, it's bizarre, but catch the significance of this. What is the, this smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, what does it do? Walks down the middle between the carcasses, back and forth. Now, for you, when I read this to you, you your reaction is probably similar to mine. What in the world? But for Abram, this was totally common. He knew exactly what this setup meant. This was the proof of the covenant. But here's what's different. Don't miss it. Abraham, Abram 
watched. He didn't participate. Normally, when a covenant was being made between two individuals, the two individuals were literally shoulder to shoulder between the carcasses, walking up and down, both agreeing, we've made a covenant and we will both keep it. And here is God walking alone. And Abram is standing back watching, seeing this before him. Only God walked the pathway. Only God ratified the covenant between God and Abram. Only God swore to uphold the covenant. Only God gave the proof. In the second passage that I read this morning, the writer to the Hebrews picks up on this story, and he relates it to us. And he says this in verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. In verse 16 and following, it says, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all the argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it. He gave proof to it, in other words, with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie. Get this, in Genesis 15, God swore by himself the covenant. He was the only party walking between the carcasses. God gave Abram two unchangeable things. He gave him a promise and he gave him proof. He he gave him an oath. And God can't lie. He's trustworthy to come through. God makes a a covenant with Abram. He swears by himself. Please hear this. It wasn't a a 50-50 mutual contract. It wasn't two people walking up and down saying, okay, well, if you break your 50%, then the whole thing's done. It was God, in effect, saying, 100%, I promise, I will be faithful to you. God commits himself as fully faithful to Abram and all his descendants. Abram, you can trust what I have said. I promise you, 100%, that I will keep my promise. I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. And that, that promise actually... If you read all of Scripture, that promise includes us. We're the spiritual seed of Abram. We're, 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 the, we're the heirs of the promise as well. In Genesis 12, God said, Abram, all the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. What was God getting at there? He was promising Jesus. Down through the, your line, Abram, one is going to come who will bless and bring hope to all the nations. Jesus. The cross is actually a very powerful symbol of God, uh, and to relate it to what we just talked about, the cross is a powerful symbol that, that God in Jesus Christ it, it walked the carcasses alone, as it were, to secure our salvation. Wasn't it, our salvation is on a 50-50 contract where God says, okay, well, you keep up your end of the bargain. I'll keep up my end of the bargain. We'll walk. No, the, the cross, in effect, was God walking, walking the covenant carcasses alone, saying, I got this, 100%. You just have to believe. I'm fully faithful to you. I'll swear this covenant by myself, God says, in Jesus Christ. Our job is simply to believe and to accept what God says. Where does all this leave us at the start of a new year? It's a bizarre story. 
back to Hebrews, verse 18 and 19. It says, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. All of this, the story of Abram in Genesis 15, God's covenant with Abram, walking alone between the carcasses, Jesus walking alone and sealing the covenant for us on the cross, all of this hope, according to Hebrews, should greatly encourage you as you start this new year. Because all of it is an anchor for our souls. It's God saying, I've got this. I'm the same God who knows the galaxies by name and who knows everyone who came before you by name. And I've got this. That anchors us, the writer to the Hebrews says. It should anchor you. It should anchor me. That even when it doesn't line up, God, this, I know this is what you promised, but this is the way it appears. And God is saying to you, where is that gap for you? Where is what is going on in your life right now? This doesn't seem to line up with what you feel God has promised. And there, there's this gap. And God's saying to you, I want you to trust me. I've got all of this. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. I'm the one who walked the carcasses. Abram, Graham, insert your name. I've got this. Anchor yourself in that. I simply want to encourage you with that as you start a new year. God's saying, I've got this. I'm faithful. And we sang a few moments ago. Um, in fact, I'm going to throw a curveball as we close. We sang um, the song Ocean. And there's that, if you can throw up the, um, the, the, the lines that say, Spirit, lead me. How fast can you do that? Let's just see. We're testing. Spirit, lead me. Is it possible? No? Yes? yes? He's nodding yes. Oh, excellent. This just grabbed me as we were singing it. I'm not going to sing it for you because it would significantly diminish my sermon. <laughs> we're going we're to close, and I'm going to invite the team forward now. Um, we're going to close with a great hymn of the faith in a second. Keep that up there. We're going to close with Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's a wonderful way to start a new year in light of what we've heard from God's Word this morning. But, but this... There's a big ocean out there called 2017, and this is our prayer. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Even when it feels like my feet are sinking, when the water's higher than my feet, that's how it feels, God. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And it's essentially us saying, God, I trust you. Help my unbelief, because this water feels like it's sinking, but I'm going to trust you in the ocean of 2017, because you are faithful. So, Spirit, lead me. Stand with me. Let's use this great hymn, Greatest Thy Faithfulness, as our prayer.